Welcome to the Intermodal Summit. My name is Henry Byers, Maritime Market Expert here at Freight Waves, and I'm joined by Stephen Edwards, the CEO of the Port of Virginia. How are you doing this afternoon, Stephen? I'm doing very well, Henry. Thanks. Pleasure to meet you and looking forward to the conversation. Pleasure to meet you as well. You guys are uh, coming off a, a record fiscal year uh, with, with TEU volumes and um, certainly some very exciting things happening at the Port of Virginia. Uh, I just recently you know, received the largest vessel on record for the East Coast. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about you know, as we're talking about the intermodal side of the business, the rail side, and how you guys are servicing the, the inland portion of the international shipments, um, talk a little bit about, you know, both how much of an accomplishment it is to receive that large of a vessel and, and maybe some of your, your how you see um, the Port of Virginia possibly expanding and, and possibly, uh, you know, handling even larger vessels in the future. Yeah, thanks, Steve. Well, the CMA CGM Marco Polo, when she called here in May, as you said, she was the largest on the East Coast. She was a 16,000 TU ship um, and really shows the capabilities of this port and this harbor. Uh, we're very fortunate in Norfolk. We probably have the best harbor, um, or we do have the best harbor for that size of vessel on the East Coast. Um, and we're actually making it larger and wider at the moment. So we're currently in a dredging program to take our harbor depths from 50 feet down to 55 feet. And we're widening the harbor um, channel at the same time to allow more two-way traffic from one-way traffic. So we have this natural advantage of being very close to the Atlantic Ocean channels. We have very deep approaches to us at the Atlantic Ocean. Um, and the CMA CGM uh, Marco Polo was a great example of how to use how to use this port. Um, by 2024, we'll have completed our dredging expansion, and that makes us capable of handling fully laden 24,000 TU ships. So we'll be able to handle the larger ships in the trade in the global trade. Um, and in a great position uh, going forward. So we're looking forward to holding, you know, having even bigger, larger ships call here uh, in the future. Um, and really for us, the expansion is that Suez Canal route, the Suez Canal Asia to East Coast by the Suez Canal. That allows us to show just exactly how well we can do with those ships. Absolutely. Congratulations, by the way. That's, that's extremely exciting. And I, I would agree um, as far as, you know, where you guys are positioned along the Eastern Seaboard. Uh, you're within a two days drive of 75% of the population, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and it's currently servicing 16 um, inland destinations to the Midwest and, and uh, Southeast. Uh, I think you guys have a huge advantage there. So um, touching on that a little bit, it's kind of that, that freight as it's getting off the ships, moving inland. Obviously, the, the Intermodal Summit want to touch on, um, you know, how you guys are currently processing those volumes. And you know, with a record retail season um, potentially on, on deck here. Uh, if not just extremely elevated peak season volumes. Can you touch on just a little bit about what, how you guys are preparing uh, for what's expected to be a, a larger than the normal peak season? Yeah, so I think we've seen two things uh, already this year. So we've seen all the disruption that's hit the, the wider supply chain um, and this strong demand. And really within the port, we've managed to handle that very well. Um, we haven't suffered the congestion problems that some of the other gateways have suffered from. Um, and a lot of that is down to the investments we've made and the continuing investments that we're making uh, going forward. Um, we operate semi-automated container terminals. So as, and really to try and put that in perspective is as we face ships coming to us off schedule, one ship may arrive in front of another ship, we're able to re-housekeep our yards or put in place the containers in the right locations through our semi-automated stacks. So that keeps the loadings to the ships or the loading to the truck market um, going in rhythm all the time. We're not having to deploy large groups of labor or equipment to 
rehandle all of our yards. So we're able to do that in an automated environment, uh, and that keeps us very fluid and has kept our velocity uh, very high. Now, as we go into the peak season, and we are expecting a very big September, October, November period, so we're expecting a really busy three months, um, not only because it's peak season, but also because we're now seeing a number of shipping lines and a number of uh, BCOs decide to use us as a, gate, as a gateway in front of some of the others where there is a little bit of congestion right now. Um, so the next thing is what happens beyond the port. If we've managed to handle these ships coming in, we've birthed them on arrival, we've discharged them into these semi-automated stacks, is we then have to make sure that the chassis fleet can support that movement onto the warehousing industry. So we've we've operate our own chassis fleet, we don't and our own chassis pool, we don't rely on third parties to do that here. We make sure we're investing in it. We've been building a newer, more reliable chassis fleet now for a number of years. We're adding a further three to 6,000 chassis over the quarter, well, 3,000 this year, a further 3,000 next year. So those are coming in every single month, uh, and they are modern equipment. The current age of that fleet is less than five years. So, you know, you can read in the in your press or other articles at the moment some issues in some of the Midwest or Gulf locations on the, the condition of the fleet. We're operating a highly well-maintained modern fleet. So we've built that capacity. Take the big ships move that cargo through semi-automated terminals into a modern chassis fleet. So that keeps the truck side um, really going very well. The rail side, um, we've got both railroads, Norfolk Southern, CSX. And then you have, you know, there have been some, you know, every now and then you get a problem in Chicago. You get a problem in Kansas City with some congestion there. Again, we've built surge capacity. So we've got this surge capacity that says if the railroad says, hold back for a day, we can then catch up. So we've been able to absorb significantly more rail uh, and push it through the terminals as soon as the railroads open up. So as soon as they open up and say go, we're able to catch up very, very quickly. And that's kept that dwell time really under control. So we've done a great job so far. Our operating team are doing that uh, exceptionally well. And I'd say when it comes to peak season, we can cover this a bit more. We've, We've taken the time to go and talk to the biggest importers and say, what are your plans? Are you looking to do more? Are you looking for less? Are you in need of drop lots? Are you in need of chassis pool uh, equipment? What are their expectations to give us the, the best information we can get to do a great job for them? It's certainly an opportunity for, for you guys. Um, as we see more congestion on the West Coast, 40-plus um, vessels off the port of Los Angeles and Long Beach, inevitably I, I think you guys will get a, a good shot at a lot of a lot of volume, a lot of new volume potentially. Um so I was looking at, at some of that expansion of the, the Norfolk International Terminal, terminal specifically and, and some of the goals that you guys had outlined. Can you touch on just about some of the, uh, as far as the roadmap for that specifically and what that uh, will, will, will overall, um, you know, add to the Port of Virginia as far as capacity for intermodal? Yes, certainly. So if you look at our investments so far and in phases, we've done, we've really phase one and phase two for the port was to, build out Virginia International Gateway. And that's now a completely built out facility, 1.2 million container lifts, so, um, and a full automated, uh, semi-automated rail yard as well. That is complete, that is complete uh, operating exceptionally well, and it's delivering the capacity we expected. At the Norfolk International Terminal, uh, we've developed the south side of that terminal. So that terminal has two sides. We call it the south and the north. Um, the south side has taken everything we've built at Virginia International Gateway and replicated it on the south side. So taken the same technologies, the same equipments, 
replicated it with the same operating processes, refined and improved. So it's exactly what you'd expect from um, take a good take a good product, replicate it again. And we've achieved that there. Um, so we've got three big ship berths at Virginia International Gateway, three big ship berths at South NIT. Our next phase uh, is going to be to modernize our rail yard at North at NIT. So modernize what we call the central rail yard. And we're going to break ground on that project uh, in the fall of this year. So quarter four this year, we'll break ground. That's going to add about uh, 240,000 rail lifts of capacity on top of the existing uh, capacity we have there. And that will be a replica or replication of the rail yard at Virginia International Gateway. So again, same equipment, same technologies, same track track layouts. Um, and we know how to operate it. So it's And it's additive capacity, so we don't disrupt the existing capacity whilst we build. The next phase after that is to go to North NIT and modernize North NIT the same way um, and build that out, which will then add a further 500,000 container lift uh, capacity to the port as a whole. So we've got a clear roadmap on our phases, and running through all of that is the deeper and wider channels that we're dredging so that we get the rail yard will break ground 2021 to deliver 2023. North NIT can break ground 24 to the delivery 26, 27. The wider Harbor Channel will be delivered in 2024. So there's a very clear roadmap of keeping capacity ahead of demand and fluid semi-automated capacity so we can deal with all the disruptions that are going on in the supply chain presently. Sure. And one of those disruptions is um, obviously, you know, container capacity by itself. I mean, you can have the, the rail uh, rails moving, you know, fluidly, the, the chassis pool, um, you know, fulfilled. You have the, the ships coming on and the, the, the cargo, you know, offloading in an efficient manner. But but sometimes, you know, if we run into this compa- container shortage of sorts, how, how have you guys, um, have, you, have you used any creative ways of, of making that um, or addressing that issue specifically since that's been kind of a, a pain point for a lot of the, you know, not necessarily just importers, but exporters as well? Yeah, I think it's a very good point to say, how has the export affair in this market, which has been largely import-driven import, import driven disruptions? Um, so, I, you know, our, you know, we took some key measures back in February um, earlier this year where we decided as a port that we had to really set in stone the export receiving dates for an exporter. Um, so the date where we open the gate to receive cargo to the date when we close the, the gate having received cargo for the ship. Essentially, with ships operating off schedule and getting disrupted at ports around us, um, you know, we've had months where schedule reliability has been as low as 18%, and ship B arrives before ship A, etc. Um, that meant you'd have exporters who've loaded their containers, uh, intending to bring them into the ports, and are saying, well, hang on a minute, that ship's moved backwards, it's receiving dates moved backwards, now I'm stuck. We've worked with the carriers and said nine days out from the intended ship arrival, so we know where the ship is nine days out, we will lock in our receiving dates. And if that ship then ultimately gets delayed because of other events, we'll still keep that receiving date. And what we've actually found as a result is exporters have put their confidence into us. So so while we're up overall, um, we're also up 16% on our export volumes. So you see a very different debate, I think, going on. Um, You know, you hear from some of the folk on the West Coast about how their exports have really dropped off. In our case, our exports are up. And in fact, May this year was a record export month. May was the biggest export month we've ever had. Um, so while, our, while we are still heavily import dominant, um, imports coming in 
often against exports and empties going out so far this year is a one-to-one -one ratio. So we're operating overall container flow, we're operating in balance, um, but we're operating at over a two-to-one ratio, imports versus laden exports. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And so for the export side, um, or even the import side, when we're talking about the intermodal, the flow of freight inland, um, are there are there any markets when we're talking about 16 inland locations between the Midwest and the Southeast? Um, are there any you know potentially new areas that we're, you're looking at um, just further you know expanding or just trying to capture more volume um, that you know to facilitate either the the export side or to better leverage you know kind of how um, you know how efficient you guys have been on the import side? Um, so I think what we've seen so far this year is everybody whether it's the port whether it's the railroads, in that case, Norfolk Southern CSX, or it's um, beyond their, their reach, is everybody's really concentrating on the core ramps, um, on the core destinations. Um, not least of which is, you know, if you're going to open up brand new a brand new location in the near term, then you're really creating, how do I move assets to support that away from my core product? So the core products here, being you know, Detroit, Chicago, Columbus, Cleveland, Cincinnati, Kansas City, Louisville, those type of, you know, and our inland port in Front Royal, that range of products, um, all of those we've concentrated, we must give good core service to those, those facilities. And without fail, we've pretty much done that. Um, we have also have our Richmond terminal, which is a barge facility, um, and that's been growing significantly. So we are looking at what investments we make at our barge facilities at Richmond, we will expand our inland port. Norfolk Southern and CSX have both taken um, capacity increases in Chicago. So they've added core capacity to those markets, which we're able to service. We're in discussions with both of them over certain longer term projects, um, but not something we're going to deliver this year um, on significantly, simply because we don't want to dilute the chassis fleet to move it to another location or dilute um, our equipment to move it to another location at, at, at this point. We want to get through this peak season without dropping the ball, running it, you know, running a good peak season, and then we'll come back to it in Q4. Say, how do we now build up maybe one or two smaller locations in time for 22-23? I think the the barge um, inland service to Richmond is is fascinating. Um, when I was working for an MBOCC in freight forwarding, that was certainly something that you know some importers at that time were trying to to leverage. Um, can, you, can you talk just a little bit more about that? And, you know, we, we've seen some things down in the, the Gulf Coast ports as well, where potentially looking at further inland barge services. Um, you know, how's that? Can you just elaborate a little bit more on, on that current process and how you guys are, are potentially looking to, to expand that service? So, so the model is really taking the European model and, uh, uh, you know, you take our main, so our big mainline ports, we talked about it already, deep water advantages, et cetera. And then we have the James River that runs up to Richmond, which was an historic port um, within Virginia, um, but was highly underutilized. So what we've, what we've been able to do is combine that facility, which sits directly on I-95, and it sits with, it, with industrial development properties available around it. A lot of old warehousing that could be repurposed into modern distribution facilities. Um, and able to combine that with a three or four time a week barge sailing up and down the river. Um, so we're able to take the take those containers you know, straight out of our terminals, move them up, customs clear them in Richmond, and push them straight into that warehousing on I-95. Um, so what we found is two, three, four, five, six different importers who've really taken advantage of that. And then we've combined it with agricultural transload coming back the other way. 
where we've taken ag and lumber and managed to translate that back into the containers coming the other way. For markets that are more naturally served through a Richmond rail connection or a Richmond road connection, than actually bringing the cargo all the way down by road to uh, Hampton Roads. So it's been a success. Um, it started off with a Maritime Administration grant. We're now running it on, on our own. Um, and we we believe we can actually double that capacity. We can double that utilization probably over the next three years. Fascinating, fascinating. Well, Stephen, it's been a pleasure uh, speaking with you. Appreciate you joining us for the Intermodal Summit. I think, you know, you guys have done, had, had an incredible year. So congrats on the success and looking forward, looking forward to see what peak season holds for you guys and, and you know, the, the future holds as well. Well, thank you, Henry. It's been a pleasure. Enjoyed it. So stay tuned for the Intermodal Summit. Um, once again, I'm Henry Byers, Maritime Market Expert here at uh, Freight Waves and joined by Stephen Edwards here at the, the Port of Virginia. So thanks so much for joining.